Five-Year Mission, the podcast, episode 10. Five-Year Mission, the podcast, is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com. Fansets, our pins have character. By now you figured out that this is a five-year mission podcast. Welcome to another five-year mission, the podcast. I am Chris Spurgeon, and I'm here with Mike Rittenhouse. Mike Rittenhouse. Before we get to our guest tonight, uh, you've seen the first episode of Picard now, right? I have. It was a week ago. Yeah. Did you watch the second one yet? No, I haven't. All right. I watched it this morning. And oh. Well, I, some of us have to work. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I have to work. I just don't have to work until noon. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, uh, I haven't seen it yet. I did see the first one, though. I thought I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. It It's kind of the Star Trek that I've been wanting since 2009. I don't, I can't say that I've been wanting since 2009 because in 2009 was when we started the band and I was not, you were super barely well into Star Trek. In Star Trek. <laughs> but now I'm really happy, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm just really happy to have more Star Trek and it has a nice familiarity to it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spoil, spoil anything, but I, I just really, like the way they've brought Picard back in the way that they've brought him back mm-hmm. because he's different than the, than we last saw him. And I think that's really interesting. One thing Star Trek does well, has always done well, well, not consistently all the time, but one thing it does well is, is develop characters. And it's always really interesting when you can take a character that you know so well and then you remove them from the situation that you're used to and that they're used to just to see what happens, you know, see where they are. And it's, I think they've done, done a really good job at the beginning starting off. Yeah. Of course, I've only seen the first episode, so you can, you can, you know, more than I do. Yeah. The, the second episode is very good. Uh, even better than the first one, I would say. Oh, good. And, uh, now I, I don't think that this is too much of a spoiler since it's the opening scene. Okay. But, uh, um, of episode one or two? Of episode one. Okay. Um, and it's a, you know, it'll be two weeks old by the time people listen to this. Right, right. But um, I thought that the uh, Enterprise D looked fantastic. Yeah, that was a, a nice opening. It started with this familiar setting, mm-hmm. and th- and yet it wasn't familiar. It was strange. Yes. In, in a way that... that really kind of draws you in because you want to know what what is going on. And it, it really isn't a spoiler because you, you see some of that in the trailer too. Right. I mean, you you already kind of know a little of that scene if you've watched the trailer. Yeah. Definitely a cool opening episode. And like I said, the second episode, it just gets even better. So I'm really excited. But enough about Picard. Yeah. So our guest this episode is Dan Devey. And Dan is someone we met... Several years ago, it was 2014. I think it was in 14. 2014. It was the first year that we did Star Trek Las Vegas. 
Dan runs an organization called Gays in Space. And I drew <laughs> that out because there's three A's in both gays and space. And we'll talk about it more, but it, it's a it's a nonprofit organization. Dan and the five of us became quick friends and we were really excited to have him have him come in and talk to us. So here's our chat with Dan Devey from Gaze in Space. So Chris, tell everybody who our guest is this week. Well, this week we have Mr. Dan Devey. So, so Dan is now, now, do you head up this organization? Are you the, the man? I, I do. Um, and I'd like to claim to be the man, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I'm the guy who gets blamed if anything goes wrong. Well, is that the same that thing? That is fair. Okay. I mean, not fair then, to you, yes. but yes. So, so Dan <laughs> runs this organization called Gaze in Space. Three A's yeah. and three A's. Yeah. yeah. So Dan met, we met Dan in Vegas and I remember we had a table. So this is the first year we're playing Vegas. We're, we're the, we're the house band. And we had a table in the dealer room. As I recall, uh, Dan was looking for some guys in uniform to shoot a spot. It was an energy drink, wasn't it? It was an energy drink. I don't remember yeah. what it was called. <laughs> it was supposed to be the world's first healthy energy drink <laughs> yes. and since no one has ever heard of it five years later clearly that did not work out. <laughs> yeah it was called extreme i think extreme something i don't remember but i do remember this guy this guy runs up to our table and if you never met dan the first thing that will strike you is he has this great big smile and he's just all excited and that's another thing about you dan is that you have a lot of energy my boyfriend calls it the Dan DB extra yeah. that I tend to give anytime I'm, you know, not by myself. Yeah. See, that's just one, that's like one space removed from extreme. So that's why you were tapped to, to do this. So, so we were doing that. They have a, a replica of the enterprise bridge from the original series and we have our original series uniforms on. So Dan asked us to help out and it was a lot of fun. And we didn't know any. We didn't know anything about gays in space at the time. Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do and how do you get involved in the in the conventions and, and that kind of thing? Absolutely. Um, well, it started with uh, when we met in 2014. I was there in Vegas to do interviews. Uh, I started my career as an entertainment journalist, and I made sure to completely abuse that by interviewing every single Star Trek actor I could find. Uh, regardless of whether or not they had new things to talk about. I was just like, hey, I have an outlet. Uh, I started in radio. So I did that for almost 20 years. And so over the course of that time, became friendly with the Star Trek actors. And so I was there to interview them. And about a year or so earlier, I you know, started kind of thinking about the idea that there were no gay people in Star Trek. You know, Star Trek is known for being all about diversity and inclusion. And, you know, um, uh, Whoopi Goldberg tells the story about how she saw Nichelle Nichols on the original series. And that, that made her, she said she wouldn't be Whoopi Goldberg had Nichelle not been Uhura. How old were you at this time when you, when this started, when you started doing this? Um, mid thirties. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cause if we started in 14, that was five. Oh God. 
First of all, I hate math, but especially when it comes up to these numbers that I'm just realizing now. So anyway, I, you know, I have been around for a bit. So had you had you had was this just kind of a revelation you had at the time, or is this something that kind of germinated over over a period of time that you had been thinking about and it just and it evolved? I guess I had always kind of thought about it because Star Trek for me was, I mean, I grew up on Star Trek. Um, I credit you know any uh, any semblance of being a decent human being, I credit to watching Star Trek because, you know, I didn't grow up in a house with a lot of really positive role models. It was kind of more like, oh, if you do it that way, I'm going to do it this way and I'll probably be okay. But Star Trek was what I watched to be like, oh, wait, that's how you should be as a human being. Um, And so, but all those years, the one group that was never represented was, was mine. Like I never saw myself reflected in these characters. So I think it was always in the back of my head, but then, yeah, it just kind of dawned on me one day, like, first of all, why are there no gays? And second of all, why has no one else been asking this question? So I decided from then on, like every time I interviewed someone from Star Trek, I would ask that question. And before I knew it, I had a really good, like, wealth of um, film footage of the actors talking about it. And so I thought, man, I could make a documentary about this. Like, why are there no gay people in Star Trek? I could, that could be a thing. Was was there kind of a a consensus or was it, did you have just a a wide range of, of interpretations on that? I mean, most people agree that, well, it's because of the times. Like, that's just... Mm -hmm. You know, uh, they had to accept, like, I mean, Gene Roddenberry, I don't think there's a single group of people or type of person that Roddenberry would not have put on screen had they allowed him. Right. Um, But they all, the one thing that they all did completely agree on was that everyone behind the scenes was clamoring for it. They were saying, how can this be? How do we have this show without any gay people. I mean, you've seen the costumes. There were clearly <laughs> gays involved. In the chef on Enterprise, by the way, that's why we never see him. He is a flaming homosexual. <laughs> and they would not want, they just didn't want to show it. I don't think that's unique to Star Trek. You know, Star Trek is oftentimes seen as as being fairly progressive. And they, they did a lot of a lot of progressive things on the show with the underrepresentation of the gay community, that's not, that isn't something that was really happening even until just recently. Right now, it's, you know, it's not unusual to see someone from the LGBT community represented in a, in a positive light on, right. on even TV, you know, network TV even. But say 10 years right. ago, that would have been very unusual. Yeah. Like we had to be the mirror universe versions of ourselves right. in order to get away with it because, oh, but they're evil. Yeah, you were the pariahs evil. of you can be gay. entertainment. It's, it's okay for, for Kira to be gay because she's yeah. the mirror Kira. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And she was, yeah. I mean, she was even, she was a caricature of being gay too. You know, I mean, it was, yeah. it wasn't the, it, it wasn't a person. It was, this is gay as a stereotype. Not, not right. and and you know I not to take away from putting that out there, but it's not like it, it is able to be represented on, on shows that we see today. I mean, I don't even think it's unusual anymore. Yeah, thank goodness that's that's exactly true, and that actually 
uh, is why no one has ever seen my documentary because <laughs> by the time I was halfway through pulling the footage together, suddenly Sulu was gay in Star Trek Beyond, had a husband, a daughter, and I was like, okay, I'm either going to be upset about this because I just like <laughs> tanked my big project or I'm going to celebrate the fact that holy cow, we are finally there. We're finally represented and a part of things. And that was in 2009, so is that right? No, that, uh, that was beyond. That would have been two, oh, okay. 2016, I think. 16, yep. Oh, 16. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, and that's what led to the creation of Gaze in Space. Because I said, like, Dan, don't be bitter. Don't, you know, <laughs> don't fret. Don't try to figure out a way to keep it relevant. Throw a party in Vegas. Because I thought like, wow, this is a big deal, but it seemed to be going by kind of unnoticed and, and, and very much uncelebrated that it happened. So I said, you know what? I'm going to be in Vegas anyway to do my interview thing. I'm going to throw a party and see if anyone shows up, see if anybody else actually thinks it's a, as big of a deal as I do. Um, and it was supposed to be one party. It was supposed to be one night. And it got such a great response that the next day, people just kept asking like, oh, fantastic, when's the next one? Or my favorite, I didn't know what was happening. Can I come tonight? It's like, oh my God, you know what it takes to plan one of these? Like last night, you missed it. But Nina Visitor came to that first party as our very first celebrity guest. And uh, my favorite story with her, she said to me, she said, Dan, I can probably only stay for about 20 minutes, but I really want to come and, and support what you're doing. And I said, oh, that just having you there for five minutes would mean the world to us. Um, she stayed for three and a half hours. <laughs> and the next day said, anytime you do this again, count me in. Well, she's, she's been to many of your parties. I mean, I see her in pictures all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She has been, uh, we have dubbed her Mother Nana. <laughs> okay. Mother to the gays. Yeah. Yeah. So what's the goal? What is, what is your, your primary objective in, in doing this and keeping it going? You know, it's interesting because, um, I mean, in my past, my, my whole career has really kind of been building things and, and working my butt off to push them to people, to get people to pay attention and to notice. Gaze in Space is the first thing I've ever done where I haven't had to do that. It's taken on a life of its own. So honestly, for the first two years, my goal was just to keep up, was to, we were getting messages from people in different cities saying, you know, Creation has a convention happening in Chicago in uh, November. We would love a Gaze in Space party. Can you guys come and do that? And uh, so my goal was just to keep up with, um, with the requests because People were so, and it was so surprising to me, um, they were so kind of affected by the fact that we were doing it. Because I think it might be a little bit of what I experienced where people weren't directly asking themselves, how come I'm not represented in my favorite piece of entertainment? But the second the microscope was put on it, and it was saying like, hey, we're part of it. Let's celebrate. People were really kind of moved by that and wanted it to happen at their, their local convention. We, we actually, we did, um, have you guys ever done uh, Trek Conderoga? No. No, but uh, I keep hearing about it from people. 
it's it's the one that has the the recreation of the original series sets, the bridge and sick bay. Like it's the, an incredible. It's the one thing. they use for Star Trek Continues, right? Yeah. Yes. Is, is yes. That, uh, and it's in, it's in Ticonderoga, New York. Oh, okay. Um, they no longer make pencils, <laughs> but they do have a recreation of the TOS ship. And so the first year we were there, we, you know, were promoting the fact that we were doing a party. It was the first time we've ever done a gaze in space party in a bakery <laughs> because that was the only available venue. <laughs> Wait, would they bake you a cake there though? Yes, they would have okay, if we had asked. Good, good. It's actually a very progressive town. And in fact, um, the guy who runs the set tour is like dedicated to making sure that when people visit because that's his hometown. Yeah. When people visit his hometown, that they are treated equally, regardless of who you are, who you're married to, whatever. And he, the last time we did it, there was some kerfluffle that ironically, Gaze in Space had nothing to do with. But it was like a, it was a, a local who was like, oh, you gays. Um, and James came to me very concerned, like, Dan, were any of your people there? Is everybody okay? I will not stand for this in my town. Like, seriously dedicated to making Roddenberry's future happen in this little town. It's really kind of amazing. We live in Indiana, which is not the most progressive state. Actually, Indianapolis is is fairly progressive, actually. But the surrounding cities, you know, as you as you get further away from Indiana, it's very rural. Uh, or Indianapolis is very rural. So we we there's have definitely been news stories over the the course of the past several years, especially where you know there was a bakery who refused to to bake a cake. And I just you know it it just kind of it blows my mind still. And in this you know in this where we are today that that we still have that kind of issue. But it's it's always heartening to hear when you have someone who is not only trying to protect their space but everybody else's you know and, yeah. and i mean i think that you know that's where the term ally comes from you know i mean mm. we are my, mike and i uh, aren't you know we aren't gay but we have are you sure though have you tried since last week <laughs> okay because i'm just saying you, know, you don't fair, know if you like sushi until it's you a eat fair some point sushi. it's a fair point i, I can't claim that i'm a hundred percent not gay right so that's that's fair to say. But I will, yeah. you know, I'll die on that on that hill. You know, like I will defend you, you know, all, all the way because I think it's as a human, you have to, you know, you have to defend humanity and what's more human than being what you are. You know, so I think that's yeah. just well said. Well said, sir. That yeah. There's a quote uh, that uh, humanity is best judged by how it treats someone without power. Yes. Yeah. That's a horrible uh, misquote. Of but I know what you're talking about. Very, yeah. Yeah. It, it's something to the effect of how you treat the... Uh, the weakest. The, the weakest, yeah. yeah. The most vulnerable. Yeah, the most vulnerable. Yeah. vulnerable. Exactly. And who's more vulnerable than those who are oppressed? Old, old rich, white guys? <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, oh, yeah. You guys have a wrong <laughs> side of it I said, I said they're so oppressed because I'm... You know, well, we're we're not rich. That's true. Yeah, we're just old white guys. <laughs> <laughs> You're the we're not that, good old. We're not that guys, old. Though. Come on. I mean, we're not that old. We're not young either, man. Well, we're right in between <laughs> young and old. We're 
I don't know what do you call that. So I think I think both of us have a higher percentage of gray than original color in our hair. Speak for yourself, buddy. <laughs> Join the club. Join the salt and pepper club. Do it with dignity and grace, man. Yeah. Don't try to cover it. You know, I've considered the 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 dyeing of the hair, but I haven't done it. So you you're in Ticonderoga, and this guy's defending your honor. Which is awesome. Yes, and uh, so we're we're promoting the fact that we're going to do this party, and uh, a person came over to our table very um, almost cautiously and started asking, like, "So, what is this about? What exactly do you guys do?" And by the end of the conversation, I realized that uh, the individual was transgender mm. because at the end uh, they said to me. You know, whenever I go to a convention, I always pack at least one or two outfits of my clothes. But in places like this, I never think I'm going to have the opportunity to wear them. But I think I'm going to wear them to your event tonight, presenting to the outside world very much as just a dude, Mm -hmm. just a guy, just a guy. But his clothes were... It, like it was a freaking fantastic, gorgeous dress and like a whole thing. But they identified by to us by saying which clothing they felt comfortable in. And the clothes that they were wearing when we met at the table weren't theirs. Their clothes were the ones they finally got to wear at a small town Star Trek convention yeah. because there was a gays in space party. And that was like, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it, I, I mean, I would think it would be two emotional directions, you know, for, for on, on the one side, this person can't be themselves wherever they're from, but on the other side, there is a place where they can go or, or that they've discovered where they can, they can be themselves, which it's a cold reality, man. When you think about this person that can't just express what they are. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, someone who has to cosplay as Dr. McCoy when all they want is to be Nurse Chapel. <laughs> yeah, right. like, be Nurse Chapel. Come on. That's right. Well, is this perfect, for God's sake? And that's what I think is so important about what, you, what you're doing is that you are offering a safe space. Dude, when you guys came to our event in Chicago, do you remember at that convention? Of yeah. Um, yeah. Did you, I'm actually, I'm asking, did you feel like you were at an event that was for someone other than you? Or were you just like, this is fun? Yeah, it was fun. And I, you know, I remember, I think we got there a little bit later because you were drunk already. Oh, (laughs) you were (laughs) dude, if you were late, I was That's where we made, we had met John Billingsley before, but that's where we, we ended up talking to him for a, a long time. And he actually just, he did the previous podcast before this, right? Yeah. You know, I never felt as if I was out of place. I never felt as if anyone was judging me for being there, for not being part of the community. I, I felt included. But as you say, like things are getting so much better that, you know, I, I, I really do think that if we were to go to an event, you know, somewhere like in, you know, say middle, oh, you know what, here's the perfect example. Uh, Rich and I recently moved from San Francisco back to New York and we drove cross country and one of the stops we made was someplace in uh, Idaho. Mm -hmm. It was right around Halloween. 
So we were going through and we passed, you know, like a corn maze, uh, like Halloween, carnival, whatever. And so we were like, we really want to check this out. But the first minute we get the sense that, uh oh, pitchfork, we're getting out of here. They could not have been nicer. And this was a super small town. You know, they could not have been. I mean, granted, they were like, hmm, gay, you say, what is this? You know, but so welcoming and so, and they were supporters of, you know, the guy in the White House. So for, for that duality to exist in just these people that we happen to meet on a road trip, I think is a real clear indication of where we're going socially, you know, as a society, we're going in the right direction. We're, we're getting there. So I think the number of uh, events, especially Star Trek or sci-fi or comic book related that we might end up in where we would feel like the other, mm-hmm. I mean, in a group of others to feel like the others, you know, pretty uh, unique. Um, I think it's small. I think it's definitely much smaller now. Well, you know, you make a good point in that the, you know, the Idahoan, I don't know, <laughs> in rural Idaho uh, <laughs> may not, you know, in a small town in, you know, Idaho, Indiana, Ohio, anywhere, you know, anywhere really, you have a small town where maybe there isn't a gay person and they have very little direct exposure to a gay person. And then you walk in and you have, you know, you've got this effervescent personality, you know, and they're like, you know, maybe, you know, they, they, they don't have, maybe they don't have any uh, preconceived notions necessarily uh, just kind of uh, a live and let live, but I don't really know anybody. And then they meet you and that can help advance that ball just a little bit further where, you know what? I don't really know any gay people, but I met this one guy and he was, he was great. We had a lot, you know, he was a really fun, fun person. So. And his clothes didn't match. So we're not sure if he was actually gay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he was with a dude. So I guess. Well, And, and you know what? Maybe th- even though those people may not, maybe they don't agree with your lifestyle, but they may not point at you and say you're wrong at that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, honestly, there is a genuine curiosity from people who don't know any gay people who whose only exposure to gay culture is Will and Grace, which Will and Grace is amazing, groundbreaking show. You know, like, I don't think Gays in Space would exist had Will and Grace not done what it did, which is, you know, make being gay just a thing that the whole country kind of experienced through this sitcom. But for people who have never actually met a gay person, there is this curiosity, especially from the dudes. I'm going to be honest, (laughs) especially from the dudes, the ones who are probably the straight ones. Any closeted homosexual who meets gays for the first time is going to be like, no, 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 bad, because they know how good it is and they don't want to go there. But like genuinely, you know, largely heterosexual men. I mean, the women all love us. Let's, let's be honest, unless they're really far down that conservative rabbit hole, but heterosexual guys, they're really just kind of like, so how does this work? How do you guys together know who does this and who does that? And, and it's a genuine curiosity that 
I don't find offensive or I'm like, you can ask me questions. Like, I will tell you <laughs> anything you want to know in the amount of detail you request. <laughs> <laughs> Things have really gotten gotten so much better over the last just like five years, I'd say. Well, you know, I think even part, part of it might be that younger people are growing up in a world that is is more evolved and yeah. is more it's it's more liberal in general i mean there are pockets that are still very conservative yeah i mean i think millennials they're like it's the odo generation like everyone's <laughs> fluid yeah. just be fluid yeah. because who knows who knows and and i think the thing that a lot of people are starting to realize is like sleep with men, sleep with women, just don't be a dick. Like, if you're not a dick, like, cool, we can hang out, you know? Like, the, the important thing is how you behave as a human being towards other human beings. You know, how your interaction with me is going to either enhance or detract from your life. And if it enhances, why would you care who I go home with at the end of the night? Like yeah. you would rather hang out with someone who's going to enhance your life, who goes home with another dude than with some asshole who is heterosexual, but like ruins your night. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's, there's this barrier to entry, you know, where it's just like in your head. And if you can just get through that membrane of, not wanting to understand, you know, it's the same with anything else, you know, religion, politics, anything that you've grown up with that, yeah. that has been instilled in you as you, as you, as you grow up, it's hard to break through that because when you do, you are effectively leaving behind the things that you've learned and accepting yeah. that it's time to learn things for yourself and make your own decisions. And that's, that's hard. I mean, that can yeah. be really difficult. So that's scary. Man. I know it's scary at conventions. I am always just thrilled that people want to engage, that they have a question. Even people who will come by the booth and be like, <clears throat> you know, you have too many A's in both of those words. Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> and then it's just like, dude, hang on, hang on. Just read it in your brain and what happens. And then you see the light go on and they're like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You, you always have your, your professors who come by that have to, you know, check your spelling. They have to correct you. Yeah. It's like, no, this is on purpose. Try it out. <laughs> but you know, you know, what's interesting is I think that what we experience by bringing together, by letting people who are gay, who are also Star Trek fans come to a place where those are merged. I have to believe that your audiences experience the same thing where it's like you guys are like serious rock and roll like yeah <laughs> mixed with huge sci-fi doors yeah so and that doesn't always follow so your events are really kind of the same thing as a gays in space event except it's for dorky rockers <laughs> Maybe? we have fans who were young when they discovered us and were just felt very much like there weren't people like them, you know, they were nerdy yeah. and they didn't have, they didn't have a community. And then they found us and in finding us, they found something they enjoyed, but they also found other people that enjoyed what we were doing. And so I think that for us, we, the, the way, the way we kind of do what you guys are doing is not 
because of what we're doing, but because we bring these people together that have these similar proclivities <laughs> as, far, you know, as far as what they like. And I think it's almost insulting for us to say that we are doing something similar to what you guys are doing because the people that, that you affect are so much more, um, they have been oppressed much more than, than those that being, you know, being a, a nerdy kid that, that feels alone is different than being a nerdy gay kid, a nerdy who, gay feels kid alone. who feels alone, you know? So what, I think what we do peripherally, you know, I mean, we're just playing music, you know, we're just guys doing playing music that we love and having fun doing it and meeting great people and, and just enjoying it. And I think that's important. I think what we do is important, but not directly. I think what happens indirectly from what we're doing is important. Like you guys are doing that with intention, you know? It is, but the effect is exactly the same. You guys are the niche within a niche that never thought there were other people out there who were part of those two niches. You know, like who grows up? loving Star Trek, thinking they can be like uh, a sexy guitarist rocking out on stage, <laughs> you know, like, God, I sounded like I was 80 years old. With that. But you know what I mean? Like if you, um, I think there are so many people out there, regardless of what it is that makes you different. So many people think that they are the only ones. I'm the only one who likes this and that. And then there are groups like mine and groups like yours that show, holy cow, there are so many of us yeah. who like this yeah. and that. Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't, I don't think you can underestimate the, the isolationism that one can feel when they, they acknowledge the fact that, hey, nobody in my class likes both of these things. Nobody in my school has ever seen Star Trek or that can be really isolating when it's the thing you love the most. So I, I have to dis disagree with you. I think what you guys do is, is every bit equally important as what we do because you are, you are showing kids out there who are feeling isolated and alone for a different reason than the people I'm reaching out to feel isolated alone, but the feeling is the same. And I think what we both do for them is the same, which is guys, like it's a really big world. Like the world is a big place and there are so many other people exactly like you do not feel alone. Come to our events and we will show you how many other people there are just like you. So don't underestimate yourselves, gentlemen. I will graciously take that. <laughs> I, I um, well, you know, let's just let's just say we're we're both trying to do good, as the the best we can. This year, we're going to be Gaze in Space is going to be doing. Um, we're going to be doing more traveling okay. than uh, we did in the past year. It was interesting. Last year, we actually did fewer events um, than we had the previous year, but had more attendees show up. Um, and have, you know, had more celebrities show up. And so we got bigger by doing fewer events, but I really want to go back to what we started with, which was, I want to go to places that we're not preaching to the choir so much, you know, like yeah. I want to come to Indiana yeah. 
and I want to be like, what's up, everybody? <laughs> Yay, let's have some fun. Let's chat about it, you know? I think I think a, a gays in space party with us playing in, in our hometown would be pretty awesome. That yeah. would be a great yeah. event. Yeah, I think we should definitely try to do that. And I know for a fact there are several of the Star Trek actors who would totally be down to come. Like even if they flew in for a night, came to the event and then left the next morning, you know, we, we have gotten such incredible support from the actors. I mean, like people like Nana, mm -hmm. John Billingsley, Bob Picardo. Yeah. Bob Picardo yeah. is <laughs> the coolest guy. He's he, pretty awesome. Oh God. Just like so genuine and cool. And, and, uh, when we did the cruise last year, he, uh, he offered us the opportunity. Unfortunately, we didn't have, we didn't have someone with us, um, that could really sing very well, but we were hosting karaoke night, which I guess tracks, but, um, but he said like, Hey, I would love to do a duet with one of your guys on stage to a song that I'm pretty sure he wrote that hadn't been sung in like 15 years which was called I Had You Babe, which was a riff on Sonny and Cher, I Got You Babe. Uh, and it was like, you know, show me the prenuptial. Like, it was hilarious, absolutely hilarious. And he said, you know what? Like, I love you guys. I haven't done this song in 15 years. Let's do it together. Like, that's the kind of guy that That's very he cool. Is. Yeah. Uh, Camille uh, Saviola, who played Kyle Paca, she she's been to a couple of our events and oh my god she gets on stage and she tells stories about having been judy garland's personal assistant whoa and nice. in the bar it didn't matter if people like star trek or not all the gays were like what <laughs> <laughs> and uh just like so wonderful and so just on board so many of them are just so on board with the message because I really do think it's the personification of Roddenberry's vision of a future where everyone is equal. And, you know, the actors have been craving it as long as we have. So I think we should definitely chat and see if we can make something happen in your hometown, combine forces, let's have like a rock and roll gaze in space event with a couple of Star Trek actors. I think we should. And we would also love to to travel to other events as well. Yeah. yeah. You guys have to get on the cruise. Like, you just, you we, have to. We made the effort the first couple of years. You know, they told us that the, uh, the stars do the entertainment, which is why we haven't been considered. Yeah, but that's the same thing that creation kept that telling us. That is the same thing that creation kept telling us. Until they finally caved. So you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the the people that we've worked with at the cruise, I mean, it took us a year plus of just saying like, hey, this is what we do. We want to be involved. And uh, before they invited us, they invited us last year for the first time. And I think the people who are organizing it now are different people than began okay. organizing it. Okay. Because everyone that I talked to was so interested in adding the unexpected Adding, you know, because like they had done a few cruises where they did exactly what they promised to do. A Star Trek cruise that was fun for the whole family. Yeah. Okay. Now what? How do we make it more interesting? How do we make it more diverse? What's more unexpected and, than five-year mission? <laughs> <laughs> In any event. 
jobs. <laughs> so I think I think we need to do a little bit more of a push for you guys to get you on that boat next year. Okay. Yeah. You're going to be our pitch man for that. I can do that because I can smile until my face breaks. I know. <laughs> you know I can. You know I can. Speaking of when we were in Vegas in 2014, that just that whole filming experience was one of the highlights of, of our oh, yeah. visit that year. I mean, we had, you know, this is the first, we had no idea what to expect. We were all kind of freaked out about being the, the house band. And then you come up and you're like, Hey, you want to be on the bridge and being a commercial? And we're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, you know, we, we had just never done anything like that. And it was just, we just had such a blast, man. Yeah. That was so much fun, but also be honest when we got there and you were like, so where's the script? And I was like, Working on it. Yeah. Yeah. On you it. told us to wing it. <laughs> and I, I just remember you, you I, I was playing bones and you turn to me and you're like, you're like, doctor, what, 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 what do you see on the scanner? And, uh, and I, I just, my mind just went blank. <laughs> and, and, I, and I said, I don't see anything. And then I look back at you and you had this look of panic on your face because you didn't know where it was supposed to go from there. In all the things that I've done over the years, that is one of my fondest memories because we pulled that together in about an hour and a half. Yeah. Because I never expected to uh, be allowed to film on the bridge. And when it was offered to me, I was like, oh my God, yes, of course we're going to do that. When tomorrow, the next day, one hour. I was like, Yeah, okay. You, you uh, came over I need, I need people in costumes, yeah. I need an idea, I need you know, <laughs> a, a camera crew. And, I, and somehow, because earlier in that convention, I had met you guys, it was impressive. And I was like, These guys will not be shy, they'll say something. <laughs> and then you went to Mike, you're like, They'll say something. And then you shut off Mike, <laughs> the least vocal guy in the band. <laughs> and then I thought, oh no. <laughs> but it just, I, I think it just kind of came together. I mean, I met the guys who were filming Chasing Atlantis, the documentary. Yeah, okay. And they were so cool. It was just, it's what happens when people go to a big Star Trek event. You just meet other really good, yeah. talented people. Yeah. And when an opportunity like that comes up, I mean, I love the fact that none of you ever said, you know, this could have been more organized. How about, some, you know, like, because you guys were like, let's do it. Clearly, you've never been to one of our shows. We, we've made our own videos. Yeah. We know. <laughs> we know what it's like. That, that, that day is the day that the, the infamous Fark is unimpressed meme yeah. comes from. Born. Have you seen that meme? Yes. yes. Yeah, when he was like, yeah, that yeah. one, right? <laughs> That's yeah. where it was born. With yeah. the... I still have that button, by the way. Oh, yeah, we did make buttons, didn't we? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, okay. And it was, I felt like that, that moment in Family Guy when Stewie is dressed as a girl because they're hiding him in Texas. And uh, Brian's like, so Stewie, how do you feel? And his response is, I feel right, Brian. I feel right. <laughs> Sitting in that chair, man, in that uniform, it felt so right. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt pretty good up there, you know, in the in the science officer position. That was yeah, that was, that was fun. So obviously we get the gay part, the gay part of gays. 
Where did, I mean, where did space come from? I mean, how did, how did Star Trek become, I mean, how, how did, how did those two, you know, gel together? Yeah. The, the space definitely came first. Okay. Uh, I was the very first time that I watched Star Trek, I was got like eight or nine, I guess. And I used to have, I had a Friday night ritual where I would stay at my grandmother's house and at 11.30, we would watch The Honeymooners on Channel 11, WPIX New York. And at midnight, they would show reruns of the original series. Well, what, there was something about that promo for coming up next, Star Trek, that freaked me out as a kid. It was just, I can't watch it. Turn it off. Turn it off. And then, because there was no remote yet. So turn it off, turn it off. Yeah, you had to actually physically walk over to the TV. I remember those days. You know, thank goodness for that, because there came a night when I was just too lazy to get up <laughs> and turn it off. And it was the episode Mirror, Mirror. Oh, man. Arguably one of, if not the best, of the original series. But also and one of the most terrifying, if you're afraid of... <laughs> Things like the intro. Also possibly the most confusing if you've never seen the show. God, I never thought of it like that. You're right. The episode that made me a fan is perhaps the most confusing. Yeah, who knows? But I watched it and by the end thought, hang on, that wasn't scary. That was actually really interesting and good. And the next one, and I still, I'm convinced it's just one of those like serendipitous things. Was this like they were Friday at Grandma's? Next Friday, yeah, <laughs> at Nana's house. The next, because they were showing them out of order, the next episode was The Trouble with Tribbles. Okay. And it was like, okay, I am clearly meant to love this show. <laughs> you know, because like randomly, the two episodes I see are Mirror, Mirror, and Trouble with Tribbles. It's, it's a good thing the next episode wasn't The Empath. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Spock's brain. Brain and brain. Savage Curtain. Mm. Or, oh, or yeah. It would have been done. <laughs> But yeah, so space definitely came first because at that age, I wasn't really, I mean, aside from the skinny dipping scene of Bo and Luke Duke in the Dukes of Hazzard, that had me <laughs> at the time. Uh, but it wasn't really solid yet. So my love of Star Trek was there, you know, and I really kind of kept it quiet, to be honest. Okay. I had one friend who also liked Star Trek. But other than that, I kind of kept it quiet. I, get, I mean, I do sometimes tell people that I came out as gay before I came out as a Trekkie. <laughs> That's only a little bit of a lie. It's, it was like a year. It was like a year difference. Okay. It was something that I really enjoyed, but I tended to keep it to myself. I guess maybe so as not to be labeled. I mean, do you think it was more of you didn't want to be stigmatized by watching Star Trek? Or do you think it was more just like it was your thing and, you know, you just figured you'd keep it to yourself? That's an interesting question. I guess it was it was kind of, I, I was always raised to kind of play to the room, which I'm sure shocks you guys. But like, <laughs> shocking. Uh, in playing to the room, it was kind of like, you know, well, if you like baseball, I can like baseball. Let's talk about baseball. And no one in the room liked Star Trek. So, you know, I guess it was, it was more that I didn't, I guess maybe I didn't feel the need to share it sure. because it was such a perfect kind of experience without anyone else, you know, messing it up. Did your Nana watch it with you? 
She did. So you yeah. were sharing it with somebody. That's true. So it wasn't, yeah. you know, maybe it was just that you, that was fulfilling enough, you know, because a lot, you know, a lot of, especially today, you know, I'll watch a show and then I want to talk to people about it. But the, the, the world of today is it's very different, very different than it's it was different. at the time we're talking about. Right. You, you, you didn't watch a show and then the next day go to school and talk to your friends about, you know, like, well, I mean, some shows, but like, yeah. You know, being, you know, what you said you were nine, something like that. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I was nine, I wasn't, Espe- especially a show talking about it either. So especially a show that was in reruns and right. was like, you know, what I'm, I'm guessing like 10 years old or so yeah. at that time. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I did play Dukes of Hazard with my brother. Oh, the Dukes of Hazard. I talked to everybody. About. <laughs> oh yeah. We would, everybody we was had, like, yeah. We had this just janky little, it was like an 83 Ford Mustang in the, that was in our garage. And my brother, my brother's blonde. I have dark hair. So inherently I was Luke and he was Bo. And so we would just, you know, we would never open a door. We would just roll down the windows and play Dukes of Hazard. We were, I mean, we were sitting in a car in the garage for like hours. Playing Dukes of Hazard. My, my cousin had dark hair and I was blonde. Yeah. So. Uh, I, I was Bo. When we played Star Wars, I was always on solo because I was the guy with the dark hair. My brother I just, I just hope you never painted the Confederate flag on the car. We didn't. Um, which, in you know, looking back, um, I'm really glad we didn't. <laughs> because at yeah. the time, I in wouldn't. Retrospect, you know, it's, oh, man, it's like, so weird. Oh. Like, you know, when we were kids, we didn't think anything. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. I didn't even think. I didn't I, think anything of it. I, I was an embarrassingly old age by the time <laughs> I found out what that actually stood for. Oh, yeah. well, you know what? I think um, nostalgia drove me to, I, I saw a General Lee, like uh, Hot Wheels or something. And I, and I got it uh, for like, for my kids or something, or for my son. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, I'm like, oh, look, it's the General Lee. And then I'm thinking... Is that really the right message to be sending to my son? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I don't know what happened, or maybe I don't. I don't. At some point in my life, I had a, a General Lee Hot Wheels car, and I don't. I don't remember if it was for my son, but I, you know, at some point, I was just like, "Wow, this is not good. Let's just get rid of and this." It's, it's crazy because the show was about a family yeah. that always did the right thing, yep. that looked out for others, that never discriminated yeah. against people right. they were always there to help you they were the helpful neighbor who was looking out for the little guy against corruption yeah. and then you're like why did they name the car general Lee? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, you know the, they're it's set in the south you know back in what the 80s when when dukes of hazard was a- airing it it just I mean, we were in the Reagan years, you know, I mean, no one thought of, twice about that kind of thing. And it's just crazy to think about. Uh, all I got to say is that B.A. Baracus never had a, <laughs> a Confederate flag on his van. Yeah. Kit, Kit didn't have. That's right. We had Kit and we had, we had the A-team van, so. But then also, like, I just recently came across uh, an old Bugs Bunny cartoon and the, the phrase cotton picking varmint yes 
Yes. Cotton. It always just sounded like a silly, <laughs> fun thing to say. And then you're like, oh, yeah, I'm yep. yeah, oh, yeah. It's God. crazy. I, whenever, yeah. you know, my kids will be, cause my kids love cartoons. I have a, a seven-year-old son and a four-year-old daughter and they love cartoons. Now there's a huge, just ever growing library of things I can watch. And they, mm-hmm. you know, there's all these new Netflix shows and it's just like all this media that they can watch. And, um, but, you know, they still like, you know, my son loves watching old Tom and Jerry and some of that stuff is questionable. You know, Mammy is, <laughs> you know, is there. Uh, so yeah, Tom and Jerry, we watch Tom and Jerry, but every time, you know, they'll want to watch Looney Tunes and you really have to yeah. pay attention. And then sometimes afterwards we have to have a conversation. What, what I, what I tend to, to do in those instances is just explain that this is a product of the time. Yeah. And that you have to watch it through eyes of the time, yeah. you know, some of the opinions and some of the, the way things are portrayed are not really reflective of yeah. how the world is today or how we want it to be. You hear people talking about, Oh, people have to be so PC, but it's not about being PC. It's about being sensitive to other people, you know, and aware, and aware, and aware. I mean, there's nothing wrong and with having an awareness. Yeah. yeah. Every now and then, I you know I think it, maybe it's a good thing to watch some of these old cartoons and, yeah. and movies and see you where learn by see it. where we've come <laughs> from and see you know how much progress we've actually made. Yeah. You know, some people who will say like, well, they should go in and you know dub things out and change it, and it's like no, no, no. like it was a product of its time, and it's important for us to remember that it used to be normal you know like we would say that you know some of us innocently but others not so innocently right right. and i think it's important that that stay intact as a piece of you know our history before we kind of you know we uh became socially aware of people who were different than ourselves you know star trek is often seen as being uh, you know, very uh, progressive, but even, even some of the stuff they did was very of the time, you know, I mean, Kirk is not, I don't want to say misogynistic, but he is very alpha male. You know, he's very of that time where in Charlie X, you know, Charlie smacks uh, Janice on, on the butt because he sees that happen, which in, in today's time, wouldn't necessarily be okay unless you're really, really comfortable with the person. So there were these things that would, you know, that although it was very progressive, it also had, it was also very much of its time. Well, and it was also the thing about that that I love is what Kirk is really saying. It's like, listen, if you want to touch an ass, make it a man's ass. I think, I think you might be right. Just saying, just saying. I think Captain (laughs) Kirk was teaching us without knowing. I think I'm starting to see what really drew you in. (laughs) <laughs> are you sure that charlie x wasn't the first episode that you saw definitely one that i've watched more often than others. <laughs> okay so i i have I, I have a very star trek centric question that um what do you think i don't know i see now i'm thinking this in my head and i'm thinking is this okay to say i'm gonna say it to you and then we can edit it out later <laughs> what is the gayest episode of star trek that you can think of any of the series is that okay to say? The gayest episode. Yes, that, that is totally okay to okay, say. Okay, good. Uh, the gayest episode. I mean, there's obviously from a more uh, serious perspective, the episode, The Outcast in TNG was the first that yeah. really dealt 
with, you know, um, with the, you know, the gay allegory kind of head on. Sure. And then DS9's rejoined mm-hmm. when Dax meets her, you know, yeah. it, there was always that sci-fi twist yeah, right. that, you know, was like, you just want to be gay, let them be gay. But it's <laughs> like, no, 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 it has to be a worm who used to be a boy with <laughs> another worm who used to be a girl and they were married and it was fine. Yeah. Um, so those are, and, uh, in enterprise, I forget the name of the episode where cogenitor. Yes. Yes. Whereas like the third gender in there. Uh, so those were all like social issue, gay conscious episodes. Yeah. Right. But yeah. as far as like the gayest episode, like unintentionally gay, <laughs> maybe surely with the rabbit, oh. with the rabbit what? and, uh, the women wearing the things and like their, their uh, fantasies were coming true. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was pretty gay. What, what about angel one? Oh yeah. Angel one. That's another one. I mean, that was also a little offensive. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they took that whole, like, well, women can be assholes too, if they're in power. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> justice, where they're all running around in those horrible white, like unitard things. Mm-hmm. Oh um, yeah. And justice actually, uh, Rod Roddenberry tells the story about how uh, when they were putting that episode together, his dad like later told him like, "Oh my God, I wanted to have men hooking up in this corner. I wanted women making out. I wanted groups of people over there, yeah. like." just having sex and the studio was like, they can wear skimpy clothing, <laughs> boys and girls. Leave it, Gene. Leave it. <laughs> <laughs> so you've, you've mentioned many characters and, and actors from the various series. Do you have a favorite of the Star Trek series? Oh yeah. I can't, I can't say a favorite actor cause I love them all, but um, characters, I think it's a toss up between Worf and Dax. I think phaser to my head, I would have to say Dax. Dax as, as, uh, as a whole or a Dax specifically? The worm or Jazia or Ezri. Or, or the, the, the worm, the worm, but I largely was just absolutely fascinated by and kind of infatuated with Jazia. I thought her like journey from you know, I'm a kid, actually, who knows nothing, but I'm also the wisest, oldest person in this room. And how she eventually, over the years, got comfortable with the power that she had because of that and became one of the most kick-ass, smartest characters on the show. And anybody who can look at Worf and be like, mm-hmm, I can take that every night <laughs> is somebody that I'm just like, wow. So, so when your two favorite characters got together, did that just blow your mind? Completely blown. Mind completely blown. Also because, you know, when that happened, it took a while before people realized that, hang on, that's, I mean, it's an interspecies couple, Trill and Klingon, but that's also an interracial marriage. Yes. No one talked about that yeah. because no one saw that anymore. They just saw this perfect pair yeah. of a Klingon and a Trill, and no one got all up in arms about, ooh, it's a black man and a white woman. It's like, because we had gotten past that, I think, largely at that point. 30, 30 years earlier, we had the we had Kirk and Uhura being forced to kiss. Yeah. 
Yeah. And that was like sh- shocking, you know, and well, you know, another thing about Worf and Jadzia is that they were, it, it was almost, um, you know, Worf is an alien, you know, Jadzia is an alien. So they're not a black man and a white woman. They're these aliens. So it's almost subversive the way they got it in there and made it just completely normal. It kind of tricked people into not being racist. Yeah, uh, like, kind of. I'm against that interracial marriage. What do you think of Worf and Dax? Oh, they are wonderful yeah, together. It's like all, all I got to say is that Jordy LaForge was already macking on them white ladies like 10 years <laughs> earlier, all right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> It's a good point. That's a very good point. So, so Dan, what is your your favorite of all the Star Trek series? Um, I say this with all due deference and acknowledgement that it could not exist without TOS and TNG, but DS9 is hands down yeah. my favorite. I feel like they TOS and TNG kind of set the board, and then DS9 got to play the game with all the players, mm-hmm. and they just told such an incredible yeah. like a, a, it's it's a 178 hour long story yeah. when you look at it like the first real continuing you know uh storyline show it's i think deep space nine could be released today and it would totally fit in the landscape of television now it does all of the things that great tv today does so it was so far ahead of its time and not afraid to do things that they weren't supposed to do. I think it had the best acting of, I mean, you know, Patrick Stewart, yes, <laughs> he's amazing. Uh, but overall, I think the mm-hmm. acting was incredible. The story was fantastic. The, it has the most character development of any of the yeah. series. Absolutely. And the fact that they they trusted, they did trust their actors. They trusted that they cast the right people to play these roles, yeah. even if it was, you know, someone who was hired initially to do a few lines, even if it's Casey Biggs hired for one day yeah. to do a couple of lines and then he becomes DeMar. Be- becomes the leader of Cardassia. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> yeah. And they, they knew that, you know what, we cast the right people. Yeah. And we can trust that they are going to build these, you know, throwaway characters initially into something incredible. And, and I think Deep Space Nine is really the only series that you can have so many stories like that to tell. I mean, we're just talking about it and already, you know, Aaron and Casey Biggs, there are two characters that should have gone nowhere who became yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you can do that with the other series yeah yeah it's i think the fact that they were they were stationary and they didn't you know they the 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 conceit wasn't to go someplace and discover you know new worlds necessarily you know what they were doing is they were stationary and that gave them the opportunity to really focus you know they didn't have to focus on an alien race every week they could focus on the people on the station relationships and and the relationships, which made it, you know, it was this drama, like you would any other drama that, you know, that you would see on TV that would be, you know, in a city where people are interacting, but this was in space, you know, and they, and, and they faced all the challenges that were presented by being in space, you know, by, you know, the biting off aliens and, and, you know, whatever else they had to do. I think the unfortunate thing is a lot of people haven't seen it because of what it is. Because it's a sci-fi show where, 
you know, it's it's isn't space with aliens. Isn't it, that know? that Star Trek show that's like a soap opera? Yeah, right. And so it's, <laughs> and, and you know, they I, don't go anywhere. And it was I remember um, Michael Dorn saying uh, when he was talking about the difference between TNG and DS9, and he was like, you know, like uh, there's no bridge on Deep Space Nine, like. Yeah, you have you have the op center, but yeah. you know nothing really happens. You're just monitoring stuff, and ships are parking and leaving and whatever. That's all that happens. So what goes on in that space? The dialogue between the characters yeah. it better be compelling because you're not doing anything else. You know, like on the bridge of a starship, you can be distracted by the fact that, you know what, this might not be so compelling dialogue wise, but ooh, look at that new ship and ooh, what's happening over there. You know, like DS9 was like, no, it's in the writing. It has to be. You know, I, I, um, I'm going to jump off on a, on a tangent here, but so, so what was Captain Worf all about? So uh, Michael Dorn had, and this is years before discovery was even a gleam right. in yeah. you know someone's eye uh he wrote a, a pilot script for a series ultimately entitled star trek the next generation the chronicles of Worf, and it's about Worf's life in the empire after deep space nine um and kind of exploring the Klingon Empire in a way that we have never seen before. We've always seen the Klingons as, you know, they were the, you know, the guys over here. We never, sure, there were a lot of episodes about the culture and, and, and stuff like that, but like they're, the Klingons, even though they're our allies, have conquered worlds and have, you know, like races basically enslaved. And, you know, like they're still really badass and non-democratic. We forget this because we never see those things. So he wanted to tell a story of a future where the Empire and the Federation had become so intertwined that there were now Federation officers serving in the Empire. There were humans who wanted to be Klingon warriors, and there were more Klingons in Starfleet. And kind of encountering these problems of, you know, hey, I'm I'm Worf, and I'm in command of this ship, and uh, there's a rebellion on a Klingon conquered world, and I have to go kill the rebels, even though we conquered their... Am I okay with this? Is this... Ooh, like, you know, um, he, he, and he had so many, uh, has, has, I shouldn't have put that in the past tense because it's not dead. It's not dead. Uh, so many ideas. And I think it would be so fascinating for people to see a Star Trek show that isn't set in the Federation. It's set in the empire. I mean, he pitched it and it got traction, it lost traction. It got traction, it lost traction. And then we did the big mini muffin campaign, yeah. which I, I, I am still to this day well, uh, ex- quite Explain quite that because I, really, I think it's really fun what you guys did. Yeah, we, uh, he and I were doing an interview in Vegas and I was asking him about the show and he was explaining kind of the behind the scenes stuff with the studio and, and all of that. And I just... I guess the night before I had seen the episode of Friends where they say this, I was like, dude, if you want someone to do something for you, send them a nice basket of mini muffins. People love mini muffins. It was in a Friends episode. It was a throwaway thing that I just blurted out. And then he he responded. He was like, mini muffins. 
dolphins <laughs> in his voice. And I was like, wait a second, this might be dumb enough to be clever. Hang on. And so I, I went and I came up with this idea. I, I thought, you know what, how about we rally the fans to prove to CBS that, that we wanted a new Star Trek show on television. And the way that we would show that we wanted it was we would send mini muffins to the CBS lot addressed to Les Moonves at the time uh, that just said, hashtag, we want dwarfs. And here are the mini muffins. And I pitched it to Dorney, not, you know, not sure exactly. What, he was like, that actually sounds like a good that's fun. That's okay. He said, but hang on, but what happens with the muffins? I said, well, that's, that, that's the, you know, that's the twist of the campaign, which is the poison. They're not going <laughs> to <laughs> problem solved. <laughs> oh man. Think of the pro think of the future problems we could have solved had they been poisoned <laughs> for moon does. Um, but I said, no, what we do is after they're delivered, we've made our point we donate them to the local food bank. So oh, yeah. people are not throwing away their money, you know, and the campaign itself wouldn't just be about trying to get a TV show made. It was to remind people that, you know what, if Star Trek exists today, it will do good the way that the other shows did. And so just the campaign to bring it back to television is doing good because it's a charitable thing and that combination of things is what made him really kind of say, you know what, like, cool, let's, let's do this. So at the end of the day, we had 70,000 mini muffins That's amazing. sent to CBS studios. We had, uh, we had a guy dressed in Klingon, full Klingon cosplay and a Vulcan in full garb driving a pink mini muffin van <laughs> onto the CBS lot to deliver them. Uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was interesting. How did they feel about that? As we, as we delivered it, like I had to call them the day before to tell them what was happening yeah. and everyone was surprised, you know, and the reaction that we got from the guards at the booth thing was just so stone faced <laughs> and so like, not, Oh, you're bothering me or, Oh, this is just, you're not even here. But, you know, I had to listen to my boss for an hour about this. So yeah. when I cut together the video, when we cut to the reaction of the person in the booth as we're trying to get on the lot, I played that clip of the screaming goat. Oh, yeah. Um, because I think that just really summed up their reaction <laughs> to my little, my little campaign. I wanted to ask you, if you could be any alien race, any non-human race on any of the Star Trek series... What would it be? Hmm. I guess. Um, oh man, I, I'd be a changeling. Holy hell! Yeah, no, of course, changeling. Kind of yeah. on the nose there, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, it really, <laughs> I mean, it's a dream. Are you kidding me? Like, hello. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as long as I didn't have to be a you know galactic dictator of any kind, if I could just be a guy who could shape shift into anything he wanted that's the guy I'd want to be. Yeah. So not, not necessarily a founder. Right. Yeah. I'd love to be one of the hundred that was sent out. Oh yeah. 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 What about you guys? I can't remember what you were, Mike. Uh, I, I think I, I said, uh, uh, a Sung Android. Oh yeah. Oh 
Yeah, I've always had an affinity towards the Balkans. So uh, aside from five-year mission, what is your favorite music? Uh, have you guys ever heard? Aside from five-year mission. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's just a given, obviously. Um, have you guys ever heard of an artist named Aurelio Voltaire? He did an album called Bitrexual. Okay. Oh my God. <laughs> Hilarious. Like you guys, you guys would love him. You guys would get along really, really well. The first time that I saw him perform, I mean, also like when I've seen you guys perform, I think like there are very few people who know as much, if not more about Star Trek than I do, but holy cow, like you guys do. And he does. And he really understands it in, you know, the lyrics that he writes and, I mean, he's, he has a song called um, The USS Make Shit Up. <laughs> like, if we're in a jam, just make some shit up. Uh, but he, and he's such a nice guy. He's unique as, uh, as a person and as an artist. But he's, uh, yeah, he's great. You guys should total. And what's his man, name again? I would love Voltaire? Uh, Aurelio Voltaire. Aurelio Voltaire. Yeah, just look up by Trexable. Okay. What, what style of music is it? I guess rock. Okay. I guess. Yeah. I would love to put together an event with you guys, him and the Roddenberries at a gaze in space event all together. I think that would be so much fun. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, we're counting on you. Are you guys coming back to Vegas this year? Uh, we, we have not been asked to come back. We, I, I check in every year. And actually, mm -hmm. I just um, I checked in today just to say, you know, say, hey, we, have, we don't have anything scheduled yet. So we really want to come back. But it's just a matter of them, you know, being able to bring us out. Well, what we need is for uh, Gaze in Space to team up with Trek Geeks and fan sets yeah. and have have some kind of ultimate huge party and and get us out there. Yeah. I mean, we have I don't know if you guys have seen the, the photos from our Wrath of Vegas party this last year and the year before where uh, we've been doing it at a venue called Piranha, which is four different rooms. The main room is a double level. Like the stage, when you walk out on that stage, it's like Mardi Gras when you look up <laughs> because we have, I mean, and we have packed the place now two years in a row. Awesome. And uh, last year we had the, the Roddenberries and Voltaire perform and I think, fingers crossed, they're going to come back this year. And, and last year you were thinking, what is missing? Something's what? missing. Missing from this. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, it's you guys. So we should definitely talk about that because we're, I mean, Gaze in Space also, I should, I should mention uh, the beginning of last year, we finally received our official 501c3 nonprofit status. Oh, nice. Awesome. So we are now, you know, People were saying, you know, people were asking the question when we first started, like, well, what kind of nonprofit? Like, what do you do? And um, for the first, you know, couple of years, it was just the events that we were doing. Uh, and it took us about a year to go through all of the paperwork with the federal government because getting a gay nonprofit in the age of Trump wasn't the easiest thing. Um, what? But we finally did it. And now that we have that status, we're able to start, we're, we're going to be able to start doing more things like reaching out to, uh, you know, uh, schools and starting up, you know, different kinds of social programs and things beyond just the, the parties. But all of that is to say now, 
we can officially accept donations. Uh, Rod Roddenberry at the end of last year donated from the Roddenberry donated five thousand dollars to Gaze in Space from the Roddenberry Foundation. Oh, that's great. And, you know, that's what's paying for everything we need to do the cruise and um, to keep our weekly parties going. And once we get closer to Vegas, hopefully we'll be able to find more people who are interested in helping us to keep this going. And certainly part of that is to get the best, you know, lineup that we can for our, the biggest event of the year, which is the Wrath of Vegas. So... Let's yeah, let's keep talking about this, guys. Because I'm I'm listening. Yeah. You're the missing piece. <laughs> you guys are the missing piece. And uh I think I mean I know everyone would have a blast. Uh yeah, I we should definitely talk about making that happen. Oh yeah, we always have a great time in Vegas. Well, Dan, I think we've taken up enough of your evening. <laughs> <laughs> well, this no, guys, this has been seriously like I was so excited when you asked me to do this. I'm so glad we got to do it. I uh yeah, from from the first time we met, and we somehow pulled that video together. Yeah, and then I got to see you guys at other shows and everything. You're just like you guys are the types of people that I love being able to meet, thanks to Gaze in Space and thanks to Star Trek. Yeah, you know it, it can be it can be a little dark and gloomy out in the world, but uh, getting to meet people like you just I'm so happy that I met you guys and uh, so glad that we're continuing to work together. And I think we can make some really fun stuff happen. Well, we this we year. can absolutely say the same thing. And, uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, we really, we greatly respect what you're doing and support what you're doing. So, I, I mean, it, working, I mean, it's, it's totally mutual. I mean, we, we love, we love getting to know you and, and actually I'm really glad I was excited that you accepted and, and wanted to do the podcast because we actually learned a lot. You know, I mean, as much as we've interacted with each other, we haven't, uh, you know, we haven't just sat down and, and had a, a talk about life and, and you it's, know, it's, what we do. It's hard when, when you're at like a convention yeah. and, and it's crazy and there's so much going on. Well, and you know, life is crazy and you email back and forth. And so it's nice to be able to just connect in this way. And then we can, you know, get it out there and let everybody listen to our conversation. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> the, uh, they they have all skipped to the next episode by now. Yeah, <laughs> we've lost them all. But now that we've lost everybody, Dan, what? Where can we find Gaze in Space? Uh, we are on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It's the same handle at Gaze in Space. You need the three A's and the three A's. If you leave out an A, I don't know where you're going to end up. <laughs> uh, but it's not on our thing. And uh, we are also. Uh, main website is uh gaze in space three a's three a's dot org g-a-a-a-y-s-i-n-s-p-a-a-a-c-e dot org <laughs> and check, check out check out dan's stuff well i just want to make it make it clear because <laughs> you, 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 you got to play the lowest common denominator <laughs> that's right <laughs> somebody will be in there going gaze in space number three a uh yeah Number three, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, it's best to spell it out. You're right. Got to make sure everybody understands. Well, Dan, it's it's been really great talking to you, and we will definitely keep keep this conversation rolling. Thank you guys again so much. Anytime you uh, you know, if a guest falls out and you're like, who the hell will just talk so much? Dan, feel free to call. I'm always. Will do, man. <laughs> Thank you.
Fansets is your home for everything pop culture pin related, including releases from Harry Potter, Firefly, soon to be the new horror verse, Scooby-Doo, and many, many more. Right now, they also have pins from Star Trek Picard, the brand new Star Trek series that everyone seems to be loving, including, starting on February 15th, the Starfleet Visitor Badge, as well as the Starfleet Picard Delta. And don't forget to head over there also and get a number one pin. They also have the dog tag, which my buddy Hank down here, who's recording with me right now, has been lovingly wearing ever since. Isn't that right, Henry? And as a special added bonus to 5-Year Mission the Podcast listeners, you can get 15% off your entire order by entering the discount code 5-YEAR-MISSION. That's the number five, and then in all caps, YEAR MISSION. No spaces, no fuss, no muss. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we appreciate Fansets for sponsoring this goofy podcast every single week, along with all the other podcasts on the Trek Geeks Network. So that was Dan. That was fun. It's always nice to talk to Dan. We don't get to do it that often. Dan doesn't doesn't live here. Like most of our guests, they're not they're not local. And so, you know, you, you uh, we email back and forth on occasion, and we see each other on social media. But it's nice to be able to sit down and and talk to our friends when we e- when we can. Even at conventions, it's rare to have enough time to sit down and right. really have a discussion like that because it's, it's always go go go. And it is, so. especially you know when. When we see Dan, it's generally in, in Vegas. Yeah. And if we're not, if if we're the house band, it's constant. I mean, we, except for after hours, at, like after show hours, you know, in the evening, we have time then. But then, you know, we're, you know, we're getting something to eat. We're just taking a little break. And then later on, we go out and, and have fun. But, you know, everybody has their own things they're doing in the evening. And they may not necessarily coincide with what we're doing. And so we just, we, we don't get to, we spend time with little pockets of people when we're out there and we don't get to really spend a lot of quality time though, which is unfortunate, but it's just kind of the nature of the beast. But uh, it's really nice. That's why it's nice to do things like this where we can have a little discussion. But there was one thing I, I, you know, we talked about, um, we talked about Dan's organization, Gaze in Space. But we didn't, there's, I, I went to their website and, and there's a, just a little on their about page, there's just a little uh, paragraph that I wanted to read just to make it clear what exactly they do. And I think it's really important. I'm just going to read that. Gaze in Space exists to promote the importance of positive LGBTQ plus character inclusion in pop culture entertainment, particularly within the prophetic realm of science fiction, which has recently been booming in popularity. So that's kind of a long and short of what they do. And I know we expanded on it in the podcast or in the episode, but I don't think we actually really... Uh, we got an official mission statement yeah, out of we, Dan's mouth. <laughs> we didn't. So <laughs> I just wanted to make that clear. And again, like Dan said, they're officially nonprofit of 501c3, I think is what he said it was. Being there and seeing it and seeing what they do it's really obvious that what they do is important. So I'm really glad that glad that he's doing it. And I'm glad that we get to, we've gotten to be a part of it as, yep. as much as, as much as we can. So well, that's all for tonight. Uh, we'll see you next time on five year mission, the podcast.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Fiverr Mission, the podcast. If any of you are interested in listening to more of our music, you can check us out on YouTube or Spotify or iTunes or pretty much anywhere that you can listen to music. Just search for Five Year Mission and we should be the first thing that comes up. If you would like to contact us in regards to the podcast or anything else that you want to talk to us about, you can email us at fiveyearmissionband at gmail.com. And for more information about the band, you can go to fiveyearmission.net and also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.